Uh, Scott Colborne with Jim Shorty. It's a birthday morning. We're celebrating 35 years on the air for exploring unexplained phenomena. And uh, wow, what a ride it's been. Yeah, wow. Lots of fun, lots of interesting guests, and a great audience. So we've got a great show for you today on this birthday Saturday. We've got uh, Charlene and Pet Talk up first, then Paula Harris from Boulder, Colorado. She'll tell us about how cold they've been out there and what's coming our way here. An update on her travels to, to Chile. Then our main guest is Dr. Um, Richard Boylan, and uh, the author of multiple books. We'll be talking about his research into the Michael Wolf whistleblower case. And I think you'll find this extremely interesting. Okay, so 35 years ago, gosh, Ray Boucher and I started the program, and we thought, you know, trying to get the word out about our research into the paranormal, the unexplained, and uh, we had a group called the Nebraska Association for the Study of the Unexplained. We realized that was a mouthful, so we eventually changed it to the 410 Research Center. Um, and uh, we took that moniker from Charles Fort in his work. And so we thought the radio show would be a good kind of outreach to people. And little did we know that it would continue for 35 years. Uh, I've enjoyed the ride, uh, the incredible people that I've talked to, the support, um, both long as well as new from people that listen, and KZUM Radio has always stood behind us, they've always had our backs, and they've never once told us what we can or can't do on the program. They've never said no to a guest. They've been very, very supportive. So um, hats off also. We share this birthday, certainly with KZUM Radio. And I've had uh, a number of co-hosts over the years, and I salute each and every one of those people. Um, Our buddy uh, Dale Bacon passed in 2012, Mm -hmm. uh, but Dale was a longtime co-host on the program. And uh, to all the rest of the folks, including the original Ray Boucher, (laughs) um, I say thank you very much and um, appreciate you. Let's go to our first segment on this birthday Saturday. This is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, Dogs and Cats for Adoption. Hi, Charlene. Hello. Congratulations on your 35 years on the air. I started this when I was two. That's awesome. <laughs> You're a talented man. Well, I've got uh, <laughs> got lots of support. And Charlene probably wasn't even born yet. <laughs> I was, indeed. Hey, it's great to have you on the air on this special Saturday here. What's going on at the Capital Humane Society? We're very busy, um, always ready to have adopters come in and choose a dog or cat or critter to take home. We do have our pet pictures with Santa coming up in Wait a November. Minute. Pet yeah. pictures with Santa? What? <laughs> I know. It's a really fun event. Uh, you can bring your pet and have it pose with Santa. Um, it is going to be Friday, November 15th, and then again, it'll be Tuesday, November 19th, and it is at Camp Bow Wow, and we have the number <laughs> on our website that you call to make an appointment. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. 
<laughs> so much fun. You know, we've got guys, we've got No Shave November coming up. So if you want to prepare for your role in your family as Santa, you know, put that razor and, and uh, uh, things away. So. Well, you, you know, Scott, if we put the, the red hat and the suit on you, you would make a passable Santa. I've got a red shirt on today. You do. I do. And I've, I've got a little bit of a, a growth here. Are you talking about my belly? Oh my! The growth of my face. No, I, I would, I would never. You, you still got your girlish figure. Hey, and we've got something else, Shirley, coming up too. We want to tell people about. It's the thirty-third. Talking about anniversaries, the thirty-third annual Tails and Ties dinner. Yes, and that's a great way to show your support. We do have tickets available online, so you'll just go to capitalhumanesociety.org to purchase tickets and learn more about the event. There'll be a silent auction, live auction, story auction, and it's a great gathering of people who share the general interest of helping animals. Okay, that'll be... um November 8th, Friday at the Cornister Hotel. Details are up at the website, Capital Humane Society. Let's do that again, Scotty. CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Okay, um, I'm going to watch my diction here with all these cats because sometimes <laughs> these names are tricky. Who do you want to start out with? For cats, we'll start out with Ray. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> Good old Ray. Ray, okay. <laughs> Ray is a very handsome guy, two years old, a tabby cat, domestic short hair, a cool cat looking for a family that'll take excellent care of him so he can relax and have a joyful existence. There you go, Ray Bo-Cat. That's right. He's a, he's a great-looking cat, too. Yes. If, uh-huh. you, if you folks are at home, you can follow along here at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Oh, yeah. And look at Cats for Adoption. Click on the on the picture. There's a thumbnail description. He's looking pretty darn good what there. What a handsome fella. Who is Ray's buddy? Simon. Oh, and good looking Simon cat. Is, look at this, Jim. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Four years old, a neutered male. Uh, has kind of that tuxedo look with gray yeah. and then a white yeah. patch out. A nice cat seeking a nice family, hoping that somebody will be coming in today and choosing him. Look at that. Look at straight at the camera. He's looking uh-huh. at you. Come yes. and get me. He's cute. He is. Oh, so many great cats. Oh, who yeah. do we who do we go to next? Minnie Mouse. So she's very, very shy, and you can kind of see that in her picture. She's peeking out, though. She's a beautiful, smoky gray color, about two years old. Uh, She might be hiding when you come in, so you may have to ask for her specifically. Uh, But she does do very well with the other nice cats in her colony, so she might make a great friend for a shy cat you have at home. You know, the the way the light is shining on on her face almost kind of looks like the classic suspense lighting that you see in the older movies and TV shows. Uh Uh-huh. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, Minnie Mouse, her expression, this is not malevolent, but she looks like she's up to something. Uh-huh. Look at that expression, <laughs> like, uh-huh. There's mischief afoot. Yep. <laughs> okay, capitalhumanesociety.org. Take a look at pictures of Ray, Rismondium, as I used to call him, Ray, Simon, and Minnie Mouse. Three great cats. See him today on the website. and Also, go out and see him live in person. Here's Charlene with Hours Open. We will be open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. And where is that Pylock Pet Adoption Center? 
Our address is 6500 South 70th. Um, so it's basically 70th and Highway 2. And there's, are you guys next to, is it Lowe's or? Home Depot. Home Depot, thank you. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay, so they're open today, and you can go out and see these great cats. Wait a minute, we got some great dogs, too. Who's up for these great dogs? We'll start with Elliot. And Elliot is very shy and looks that way in his picture. He's not sure what to make of that camera, kind of ready to bolt. <laughs> but he's about a year old, a chihuahua mix. Um, once he gets to know you, he is very sweet, just wants to curl up on your lap and snuggle. Um, but he does need someone who understands he does get spooked easy. So he will run off at first. So you need someone who will keep him safe and on a leash until you guys have bonded. And uh, then he'll be a really great companion. Elliot, show us your ears. <laughs> and prepare to fly, Elliot. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Elliot's buddy is... Next up is Lucy, a very pretty Maltese mix, 12 years young, a spade female, a sweetheart, looking for a family that has plenty of time to provide her with attention and training. Uh, she does want to be your one and only canine, so if you don't have other dogs, consider adopting Lucy. Okay, and do you, do you have an idea of the breed or mix there for, for Lucy? Well, we have Maltese mix. Um, okay. I, I, I think, yeah, she's mostly Maltese. And of course there's all the Beatles fans that are now whistling. Da, 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 Okay. We've got Elliot, Lucy, and. Next up is Luke. And he's a six month old hound mix. He's got an up close picture there. Very cute. Uh, ready to have lots of adventures. Hounds are energetic dogs, so he's looking for a family that will provide him with plenty of exercise and attention. Um, and he's a young dog, so he does need somebody who has time who will provide him with basic obedience. But he's looking for a great family, and he knows someone perfect is out there. Cool. Okay. Hours open today and tomorrow to see Elliot, Lucy, and Luke. We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. And thanks so much for joining us on this birthday edition of Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Thank you for thank all you that you for do. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. It's your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, we're going to a party. Okay, next up on the birthday celebration program is Paula Harris. And I think we've reached Paula in Boulder. I think that's where she's at. Hey, Paula, how are you? I'm doing well, and you did catch me in Boulder, finally. I've been traveling a lot lately, as you know. Well, you've been to a country that I, it's fun to say the name, Chile. Yeah, it was Chile. It was the Atacama Desert, <laughs> Chile. <laughs> so it was, it was an experience. It's on my Facebook for all the people that want to see what happened, because there was a... A uh, sighting that lasted for almost five minutes caught on camera. So if people want to see what all happened in Chile, it was a programmed sighting. We knew it was going to happen. 
And uh, it, it was darned exciting. The part that wasn't exciting, Scott, was that I had to camp uh, in a tent, and at night it was 30 degrees, and during the day it was 110. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. Talk about an extreme. Uh, Although yeah, I was dying of heat during the day. They uh-huh. wanted me to wear a hat, and I wouldn't wear one. Everybody was wearing a hat not to get heat stroke. There were couple of people taken to the hospital with heat stroke and then at night at night uh i was freezing i mean it was like 30 degrees it was so cold and these changes of temperature happen in the desert um and of course their climate is opposite this below the equator so it's opposite of ours so it was it was an experience there were 420 people there from all over the world. It was an experience. It's on my Facebook. Okay, Paula, so you were there in the desert and you're bundled up. It's night and this program sighting occurred. Tell us what you saw. Well, it, what happened was, you know, with Ricardo Gonzalez, and you know him because he's spoken at Laughlin three times, uh, he is in contact with a, a group of extraterrestrials from the planet Apu who are like us who say they're time travelers, and they wanted us to come together in the desert uh, for the purpose of uniting uh, all of the peoples of the world for world peace. And so we did. It was very uncomfortable, but we did. But they told him that on Sunday night they would fly by and show themselves, and we were able to get some very high-powered people uh, from Canada to film it. You'll see them in Laughlin because uh, I'm giving them a media award. Uh, they came with six standing cameras, night vision, and everything, and they caught they caught it at uh, about uh, three uh, minutes past nine. They had given Ricardo the window of between nine and ten. They said we would fly. They would fly by between nine and ten. So we had this high-powered camera group from Canada to come and film it. And of course, I'm going to show it at Laughlin. Uh, but um, there it was. I mean, we saw it. Everybody saw it. All 400 people saw it. And it was like a, a acknowledgement that we were there. Uh, the sighting did not move. The craft did not move for a solid, I think, three to five minutes. It was right over our heads. And uh, and it was exciting. It was it was worth going all the way down there and camping and freezing to death and all that for. Wow. Paula, you, uh, Paula, you've had my admiration for a long time for your work, your your history in the field, the way that you approach things, um, and I just want to tell you that we are so happy that you're a member of our team here, that we can talk to you every month and occasionally get you back as a full a segment guest to talk about your life and times. And uh, have you ever thought about writing the book of Paula Harris? No. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think maybe what will happen is after I'm gone, you know, like 20 to 40 to 50 years from now, somebody will do it. Uh, but I I am so busy collecting information, Scott. I mean, it's so exciting that I don't think about my own personal life very much. You know, I love doing the work. Uh, I love doing the actual field research, and I find the more I look in this field, that there are very few people, boots on the ground, 
So I'm excited about the boots on the ground. And, and Scott, you're going to hear more about my boots on the ground because you have Richard Boylan uh, on today. And I'm going to be listening because Richard Boylan and I are the only ones to do the Michael Wolf case. And I had boots on the ground three times when I went to see Michael Wolf in Hartford, Connecticut, in a very small airplane. I mean, those kind of scare me to death. They have six seats, and you have to balance where you sit, you know, in the airplane. It was a TWA small airplane when I went from uh, JFK to see uh, Michael in um Hartford, and I was one of the only journalists. I was the only journalist in the world. Uh, Richard Boyle met him once. I met him three times. Uh, and that was one of the most exciting stories I ever did. And I thank you for having Richard on your show. Yeah, he's coming up here. And, Paula, he's also going to be a speaker at your annual event. Let's talk a little bit about the Starworks um, USA UFO Symposium. Uh, this is an event that's open to the public. It's not just for academics. No, no, it's open to the public. In fact, I don't know if you saw our last newsletter, but our entertainment on Friday night is Frank Sinatra impersonator is going to sing all Frank Sinatra songs. So they'll be, they'll be fun. We're going to have fun. Uh, and uh, with Uri Geller and Russell Targ on the stage on Saturday, they're going to interact with the audience to test them for their ESP. And I, I have no idea what Uri's going to do, probably bend everybody's keys so they can't get in their room. Uh, so it's, it's you know, it it is uh, the exploration of one particular topic because it is theme-based, so this year it is uh, ESP and remote viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's like I got the best people in the field to come and talk about it. You know, the original people that worked on this. So there couldn't be anything more exciting than that. Um, StarWorksUSA.com, and you'll find information about the, the conference there. So I'm going to be there. Um, I fly into Las Vegas with a friend. Then we pick up another friend and jump into a car and drive down to Laughlin. And uh, even though it's a little bit early, I'm going to celebrate, if it's okay, I'm going to celebrate my birthday with you folks uh, during the event there. So that'll that'll be a lot of fun. And Paula's got you people. You celebrate your birthday all the time with us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, it's very, it's very nice of you because your family, I, you, you know, you're always in Laughlin for your birthday and, and yeah, we celebrate you though, uh, Scott. Yeah, it, this is a great conference, folks. I want to underline that, that this is a different approach. If you're really tired about the arguments about a propulsion system and whether or not UFOs are real, if you've already made that that jump because of your own research your own sighting and you want to start asking the bigger questions about why they're here who they are our relationship to them in the past present and future this would be a great conference to go to all those themes are explored and it's a no fear weekend so there are conferences that push that fear button that the quote-unquote alien is out to get us to eat us, to enslave us, and this is this is not what you're going to hear there. So it's affirming, it's life positive, and it's exciting as all get out. The consciousness, that aspect of, of who we are, 
is one of the places that we interact with these these visitors. And you know, Paula, I'm having a harder and harder time to call them aliens because they're people. Yeah, no, they're extraterrestrial cultures, and uh, they are people <coughs> who are very concerned about us. You know, they're very concerned about the way everything is going because it doesn't look too good. And basically, if we would wake up to the fact that we're part of something much bigger, I mean, we're part of something enormous. These, the energy, the people on the planet are part of something enormous then we would act differently, and I think that their job is just to wake us up. Mm-hmm. Okay, Paula, so we appreciate so much your involvement here. Welcome back from Chile, and uh, I'm going to see you in, uh, gosh, how many weeks? Three weeks in Laughlin? Yeah, it's like two and a half weeks. I'll see you. Okay, and this will be fun because I'm fine on Halloween. <laughs> And yeah, I know. That's going to be fun. You just look at the airport because I've flown on Halloween before, and it's a it's a veritable uh, you know show. So enjoy all the costumes, enjoy <laughs> right. all the people. It's going to be fun. Well, okay, Paula, we send you our love. Thank you for being you. All right, thank you, Paula Harris from Boulder, Colorado, and her website is Paula Harris. That's P A O L A. Harris.com. You can get more information on the conference in Laughlin, November 1st through the 3rd at StarWorksUSA.com. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back uh, with announcements and good stuff right after this. It's our birthday weekend. Happy birthday, exploring unexplained phenomena. You're looking good at 35 years. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty, and we're celebrating 35 years on the air, and it's great to have you out there listening. We appreciate you folks, new friends and old friends so much, and thank you for being out there and for listening. Um, it gives Jim and I a great place to go on Saturday mornings, talk with interesting people, drink quality coffee, and um, mm-hmm. let's do another 35 years. Sure. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. Hey, we've got a great main guest up. He's been a guest before many, many years ago because we started the program back in 1984. So I'd like to welcome back to the broadcast Dr. Richard Boylan. And Dr. Boylan, it seems like we also had you in Lincoln, Nebraska at one of the events, didn't we? Yes, you did indeed. It's great to connect with you. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. I'm... I wish I was 35. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, but, you can't uh, turn it back. But you know what? You know, I've, I've traded a few of the hairs on top of my head for a, a life of, of wonderful experience, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything different. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Very good. Dr. Boylan, have you seen a UFO? Uh, yes. I've uh, seen them as close as um, 50 feet away. Wow. And I've been inside them during an encounter. So, uh, I imagine if, if, if you were, multiple times. If you were, Dr. Boylan, inside one of them, you probably also were pretty close 
to the occupants. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. I said I don't no, know if no, you were, I've had a I don't know if you're listening to Paula Harris and I talk earlier, but I told Paula that I'm having a harder and harder time using the term alien because they're actual they're people. Uh, I tell you, I'm trying to clean up uh, ufology vocabulary as best I can, and and the term I like and the one the star visitors tell me they like is star visitors because they're from the stars and they're visitors. They're not here as invaders. They're not here for anything else but to be visitors and to be helpful when opportunity presents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be speaking at the Starworks USA UFO Symposium. And uh, have you decided on the on the topic for your paper? Well, uh, our good friend Paula Harris has kind of decided on that one for me. I'm going to speak about... <laughs> Dr. Michael Wolf and other things, but principally uh, him and as well as Paula Harris, and we're going to kind of do a dynamic duo presentation on that. I think she goes first, and then I hold forth. And uh, when we get done, I think you will see an outstanding individual described and remembered by us lovingly. And uh, one who's done his little part to kind of change the, the uh, consciousness of, of ufology because he wasn't was an insider. He died in 2000. But he was an insider from what we call MJ-12 Committee, the secret group that kind of controlled the uh, government's uh, interface with the Star Visitor. And... Uh, he decided he was sick and tired of the cover-up and started to do a kiss-and-tell effort, including putting out a book and uh, speaking when, to people whenever he had the opportunity. So it, it should be an interesting presentation. Is that book that he wrote still available? Can you track down copies? Uh, if you're very diligent, you can track down copies, but there are a very limited number in circulation and if you ever find one on uh, Amazon or some such site, uh, the, the price would just kind of choke you. Mm-hmm. Last time I saw it quoted was around 1200 bucks, but that was a long time ago, and I'm sure it's only gone north of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the thought that you're going to give this presentation on Michael Wolf at the Starworks conference, thank you today for giving us uh, a introduction, if you will, to him. Tell, tell the yeah, audience... Kind of a pre-taste. Yeah, tell the audience who Michael Wolf was. Okay. He is a very interesting individual. He is a... Uh, what shall I say? He's a, a human being who has plenty of star visitor content to him. Uh... Uh, he's not a hybrid. Well, yes, he is a hybrid, but uh, he has some Altarian, Alter Aquila star system genetics in him. Uh, he did a very interesting demonstration of that with me. He had shine a flashlight in his eyes, and the back wall of his retina in humans is black. When you shine it in, you see black on the black wall of the eyeball. 
But in his, it was green. That's the way Altarian uh, bodies are. And uh, he is uh, extremely bright, very well-educated. He has five advanced degrees. Um, individual who worked in uh, secret programs of the government, not because he likes secrecy, but because that's the way the government set up its programs to deal with star visitors and UFOs. He was a consultant to the president. He was on the National Security Council. He was a member of MJ-12 committee, which is an international committee that of individuals, various governments nominate to collectively uh, guide uh, human society's uh, path of engagement with the star visitors. He has an MD in neurology, a PhD in theoretical physics, a doctor of science in computer science, a JD in law, and an MS in electromagnetic influence on organisms and a BS in biogenetics. I've got several degrees, but this guy had me beat. And he apparently got interested in the UFO subject at a very, very young age. Yes, he tells a delightful anecdote of uh, going out in his front yard, I think it was, and uh, with a flashlight and shining it up in kind of pulse beam shots, if you will, and uh, hoping to get a response from the star visit. Then he used telepathy. Now, not too many kids his age, I think he was about 10, know about telepathy or think that they, they can do anything with it, but he he did. And once he stood out there and said, if you can hear me, would you please fly over and confirm that you're getting my telepathic thought transmission? And uh, a few, couple of minutes later, uh, a couple of UFOs went by overhead. So, bingo. He knew Telepathy is real, they're real, and it was worthwhile to try and send them signals with his flashlight. But, of course, he was a special kid, and uh, they had their eye on him. Because he is, uh, well, he was an Altarian before he decided to incarnate as a human for one of his lifetime. And uh, while he was 100% USDA human, he had enough of the Altarian what shall we say, uh, trans-incarnational memory and a little bit of smattering of their genetics on board that he, he operated at a much higher level of functioning than the average human does. So he got a number of, of degrees in a variety of subjects uh, early on uh, because of uh, being, if you will, noticed uh, well, he was maybe he was mentored. More than yeah, he was. He was slightly. He was subtly recruited by elements within the government, CIA, NSA. Mm -hmm. They they know uh, a hot one when they see one. Mm -hmm. uh, his uh, his extensive education was paid for with government dollars, and uh, he was as he grew in knowledge and so forth inducted into. Uh, 
their program uh, for contact with the visitors, and he be- rose to become the head of what they call the AlphaCom team, which was their program, their point program for meeting with significant star visitors or discussions. To me, it would stand to reason that if if you were a secret keeper apparatus like MJ-12, uh, you would want to find and attract people that had high intelligence, that had a broad academic background, that also could and has displayed intuitive or ESP skills. That sounds like it... That's him. It, yeah, it sounds like it fits... Michael Wolf, uh, perfectly. Doctor Boylan, have, have have they ever tried? They being the secret keepers, have they ever tried to recruit you? No, they're afraid of me. I guess uh, <laughs> I I I uh, I've done a lot, uh, a lot of uh, secrecy busting, shall we say? I took a rather notorious trip. I call the grand tour of all the secret bases in the West and penetrated a few. I saw, uh, I got close enough in Area 51 to see anti gravity craft test flown. And uh, I penetrated uh, in the National uh, Lab at the Albuquerque and saw. A Star Wars weapon there, and uh, wrote about it, and uh, saw some other interesting things. Then I went to Hatsby uh, Mountain in California, where the Northrop Northrop Grumman now Aerospace Corporation made those uh, anti gravity craft I saw flown above Area Fifty One. This is way back uh, when they were still in the test flight. And uh, I saw late at night, about three in the morning, uh, uh, one of their, well, we'll call it softer, come out onto a a ledge on the side of the mountain, power up, blow all over, begin to rise, then go sideways. This is around roughly softer-looking kind of disc. Uh, go about a half mile, make a, a eye-hook turn and come back, pause over the pad, slowly come down, and then power off. And so the glow was gone, and you could see the bright metal of the outside pole of the uh, softer again. Uh, and I wrote about all this, and... Uh, uh, I've gotten people, I think, trying to uh, lean on me and see if there's anything more I know that I haven't written about. I have a rather uh, extensive information dump, if you will, on my website. Uh, I challenge anybody to read that and not come away much more highly informed mm-hmm. than they started. Uh, com. it is. That's and, uh, Dr. Boylan. That's D-R-B-O-Y-L-A-N dot com. Yeah. So, so years I, ago... I've operated as, as, a, as a kiss and tell kind of guy, you know, 
uh, I'm not the kind, I refuse to bottle up information the public has the right to know. That That's mm-hmm. the kiss of death. They would never recruit me inside one of their programs because they swear you to secrecy, and I ain't doing that. I, I was uh, years ago a real estate broker in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I had a client that had multiple properties that he was selling, and I was a listing agent, and uh, this is a um, previous existence of mine, if you will. Um, we uh, went out drinking one night, and after many drinks, all of a sudden he springs his story that I realize that I am being recruited. So oh. I, can, I can say that, that it was either a guy just blowing smoke through a lot of alcohol, or that was sort of the premise to get to that place. But yeah, he said that he had served in the military and was assigned to uh, guarding embassies around the world. And because mm-hmm. of that, profile, he was then recruited by one of the intelligence agencies. And uh, that even though he was in civilian form now, he occasionally still did work for them. And he looked at me sort of paused and I said, uh, it feels like there's an invitation on the table here. And he looked at me and smiled and said, um, we always have room for a few more good people. And again, because of the nature of the, of the night and all the alcohol, I didn't know what was going on. Um, but I assure you, I assure my friend Jim, and uh, when I look at myself in the mirror, that, that I'm not working for him. So... Yeah, well, you were being recruited. I mean, you have some stature as a sober-sided intelligence uh, investigator into UFO matters, and uh, they uh, the the better of those kind of people they like to put into their workforce. So you certainly fit the product profile of a recruitee if they could get you. And we know that that's happened throughout the years with people uh, in media that were, the term was embedded. So one of the techniques that the secret keepers used was they'd say, come work for us and stay away from this place, but promote this place. And if you do that, we're going to give you a line on some information here. But effectively, they bottle them up and then direct them on what they can and can't say. And uh, yep. we yep. know from the Robertson panel that studied the, the alleged need for secrecy, part of that conclusion said is that they need to put people into news organizations to basically disinform the public to maintain the, the party line. But throughout this whole saga, Dr. Boylan, this now brings us back to Michael Wolf. We've had people that have decided to come forward and break their silence because the need from all of us to know is a crucial matter. And so now we come back to, to uh, Michael Wolf.
How did, how did you first learn about this gentleman? Well, I was, uh, and always have been, uh, since I was small, um, an interest in UFOs. And as I got into, uh, well, I was, uh, before the Internet was, I would say, invented, actually became popularly accessible. There was a primitive form of exchange before that that had UFO conversation groups on it, and I was part of that. And then when the formal Internet fired up, there were UFO sites and, and interest groups, and I joined uh, one of those. And uh, so I uh, have been uh, interested in uh, the subject matter. You, you mean beyond uh, modern times, huh? I can tell you how it started. Yeah, how did you how did you, how did you first meet Michael Wolf, or how did you hear about him? Was it through one of these well internet bulletin it, it, boards? Yeah, these interest groups were talking about. Well, uh, a very few hip people were saying this guy is saying amazing stuff. If he's for real, uh, he's he's the uh, top prize in informant because he was saying with some credibility uh, I've met him and talked with him at length and uh, I can size people up that he's not kidding. He said he was a member of MJ-12 and he was sick and tired of the secrecy and so he was going to come out in public and start talking about what he knew from his exposure to information and things and people inside the black projects of the UFO cover-up. And uh, I said, whoa, dude, you know, i got to pay attention to this guy. And the more he talked, the more sense he made, and the more it, can, it correlated with other stuff I knew independently to be true. And uh, then uh, as we talked back and forth, uh, I really became highly impressed with him. My friend, Paula Harris, uh, you just had her on your show. She's an eminent uh, UFO information sharer, and uh, I would say cheerleader for people paying attention to the UFO phenomenon. Uh, encouraged me to visit him and uh, made it clear how I could contact him, which I did, and he was gracious enough to offer an invitation, so I flew out to his uh, apartment in Connecticut and uh, stayed with him uh, for a couple days, and we talked, and we talked, and he showed me stuff, and his stuff he showed me proved that he is who he says he is. He had, for example, a signed letter from one of the U.S. presidents thanking him for his service for his country in these delicate matters. And uh, I got to see the human being and a man who's not only very bright, but I'm going down the rat hole the way it's going now. You know, global climate crisis is only one aspect of the harm that Mother Earth is enduring, and we can't keep doing that. And so he uh, 
you've seen a little of what star visitors can do in this area and are willing to help humans to do to refurbish the earth, if you will. And uh, so he's a, a man of, was a man of great passion. I say still is. I uh, come to know that even though he died in 2000, uh, reincarnation is a reality, and he has already come back. Uh, I won't say anything more on that uh, to protect his anonymity this time around because uh, this time around he's come in a different body. But uh, but he, he gave his life for this subject and for the advancement of humans and for all of humans to know that our heritage is from the stars and our future is working with people from the stars. Dr. Boylan, we'll take our top of the hour break here, and then we'll come back and talk about some of the things that you've learned in direct conversation with Michael Wolf and what you've pieced together since. Um, I've got some really good coffee in my cup, sir. What does Dr. Richard Boylan drink for his favorite beverage? Well, in the morning, it's coffee. Good man. That's how I get fired up and ready to go. <laughs> Uh, let's both refresh our cups, <clears throat> and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Richard Boylan. His website is drboylan, that's B-O-Y-L-A-N dot com. We're talking about the whistleblower Michael Wolf, who passed in 2000. We'll come back and tell you more about what Michael Wolf told Dr. Boylan and his view and take on the visitors here. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty. Happy birthday, exploring unexplained phenomena. Today is our celebration. It's great to have you out there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Scott Colborn and Jim Shorty here. Happy birthday to exploring unexplained phenomena. Great to have you out there. Our special guest today is Dr. Richard Boylan. And I'm looking forward to... Hanging out with Dr. Boylan in Laughlin, Nevada at the Starworks USA UFO Symposium and hearing more about his research and work with this whistleblower case. Michael Wolf is not the only person that's come forward, but what Michael Wolf talks about, I think, is of import to us. Um, who, who are these visitors? Are they, one, are they from one area of the galaxy? Are they time travelers? Uh, who are they, Dr. Boylan? Well, they, no. There are a number of races. Uh, well, there's two kinds of visitors yet. There's some races who come and kind of make Earth contact a project, so they visit repetitively and even cultivate relationships given human individuals over time so that uh, they can do a better job of relationship building and information sharing. Uh, <clears throat> everybody hears about the Zetas, the so-called Greys. Uh, they're perhaps the most frequent contact visitors. Uh, the easy answer is they come from a fourth planet of the star system, Zeta Reticuli. But that's not completely the whole story. They are 
well, they kind of represent our future if we don't do things right and we uh, get into a global nuclear war and uh, really hurt our genetics. They tell us they are us in the future if we don't watch our act. Uh, other races come from Alteracula, the eagle constellation. Um, Procyon B, Orion, and uh, a bunch of other uh, star systems uh, that are not household words. Uh, but uh, then there are those who just kind of touch and go. Uh, they visit and then they move on. They don't make a lot of repeat visits to Earth. But the ones who have kind of adopted us as a as a cause, as they see us as a planet in great straits and, and danger, and they want to help us prevent becoming the late great human race. Uh, they are a handful. The uh, Is there a kind of a, a Star Trek non-interference policy at work here? Well, to a limited degree. Um, they can't be too subtle because we're pretty far gone. Uh, and uh, they certainly have increasingly done star displays in the skies. Uh, you know, UFO and UFO formations over population centers time and time again to where they are the subject matter of popular cartoons uh, over the decades. You know, people kind of half know they're here and half don't. Some people half don't want to know, so they just write it off as mistaken identification of airplanes. <laughs> but uh, the ones that have adopted us as a project uh, they're here to stay and uh, hope to reach the point where we and our and the power, powerful, rich, ultra-rich power group behind the curtain that try to pull the levers of governments around the world. They try to uh, hope we get past that and they can come out in the open and we can have a society where they could walk down the street or come in and sit down at a meeting and people would uh, not get perturbed. They would see that as uh, an exotic visitor. That's the way it should be. And that's the way it has been secretly a few occasions. I was at a conference in Rome, an international conference on uh, well, star visitors, if you will. And I know that uh, there were a couple of star visitors in the back of the audience. Huh. They were tall white. That's a group from uh, not so far away, a red dwarf star uh, near our sun. They created a settlement in what we are pleased to call the Nevada test site. 
mm-hmm. or uh, Nevada Nuclear National Security Site uh, near Indian Springs uh, in the hills behind there. They are one of several residents that are visitor peoples on Earth who keep a little profile because they're not officially supposed to exist yet. And uh, this man and woman, they look just like us, except their eyes, where we have whites in our eyes, they have darkness. So they wore sunglasses, but other than that, they dressed like humans, and uh, uh, I'm sure most people wouldn't give them a second thought in the audience. I, I, it is my droll custom uh, introduce them without introducing them, acknowledging their presence at this conference on uh, international civilization or interstellar civilizations, I should say. Uh, and I'm sure they cringe, but I didn't out them, and they just continue to sit there pleasantly while uh, we uh, held our conference. So uh, we, and of course there is a race that uh, the uh, Ultimarians uh, had an interesting uh, experience with that. Uh, I've been in communication with uh, their leader, if you will, Zena, his lovely woman. Uh, doesn't look like us, but you know, it's obviously an intelligent humanoid life form. Um, and uh, to cut a uh, long story short, uh, I was working with a national security individual who facilitated a, a survey among CIA and NSA officers of how would, we're going to use you as a representative sample of humans. We have a question for the human race. How would you feel about a star visitor race? These planets in trouble, their sun's about to go supernova, and they will be fried if they don't find a new home. And they'd like to come here and quietly establish a, uh, a settlement on Earth. They stay out of your way, and you'd hardly know they're here. Uh, how do you vote? And uh, the vote was about 85% positive. And of course, my vote was right there with them. And so that was passed on, and uh, the Altamarians got the green light. And uh, several years ago, they came. Uh, they, The leader asked me where, where I thought a good place for them to be was, and I told them a very beautiful place and would be in the American Southwest in our Phoenix country there in the desert. Uh, and uh, I won't get too particular about where they ended up, but it's a very beautiful area. And uh, we, uh, and they came here, landed officially and uh, set up settlement. They uh, burrowed into the side of a, a mountain and their settlement is in there. Uh, I'm sure they get out and walk around the sunshine too, but they have their settlement very low profile there. And if you drove by their general locale, you'd never know there was anything there. 
I took my daughter Stephanie with me on a trip this uh, this spring to kind of visit the area and see if they'd done any more development of their surroundings where I could see anything, any earth movement, for example. And uh, as I got close to where they were, we had a missing time episode. Hmm. And uh, when we kind of popped out on the other side, uh, I said, something happened there. But I don't recall what it was. But she, uh, she had a health condition that was troubling her that next day she noticed it wasn't there anymore. So there was a healing that went on. They, uh, and I'm obviously very grateful to them. So yes. they're not just, they're not just takers. They're also givers. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you've got, uh, Theology, Doctor Boylan, in your background—that's an interest. Yeah. It's an interest of mine as well. And I, one of the you know large questions that's always loomed for me, once we get beyond the the hardware and nuts and bolts, is the idea of a a creator, a intelligence, the divine, or God. That would be the same creator intelligence regard for them as it is for us and yes uh, if i if if i if i see it that way then i realize that your term of star families is correct definitively a correct and it's appropriate because that means literally that they may live there, they may live here, we live here, we are all one under this creator intelligence. Yes, uh, I was uh, in dialogue with uh, Zeta, uh, talked with from time to time, and uh, they said the term they prefer is source for God. The source of everything, creator, if you will, but source is even more subtle and more pervasive. And, uh, well, I, I don't know what your theology school is like, but, uh, and mine was limited, but I've gone beyond that. But I think the Native Americans have a idea of a one giant family, uh, under the creator and that everybody is relative and everybody has a relationship to the creator, you know, uh, product of the creator's creative force. And therefore we all have much more in common in a family like way than we do as separated from each other. And I think that's a very nice theological underpinning personally. Did, did Michael Wolf share any of these theological concerns, beliefs? Did he make any observations to you about that? Well, we talked a little bit like what you and I just did. Uh, he shares that perspective, of course. There is a theological aspect to him, too. In spite of all his scientific advanced degrees, he's very much a spirit, per, spiritual person. And uh, he... Uh, 
shares that sense of the kinship of life, be the kinship of life across the star system. That when we meet a person who is born, raised on a different star system, uh, we have much more in common than than otherwise because we both been gifted with intelligence, a physical body that is elaborated in ways where we can do interesting work and and uh, creation and of uh, items. So he uh, he's a very reverent person. He he said. He sometimes got rhetorical. He said, I'm Christian, I'm Jewish, I'm Buddhist, I'm Zen, I'm uh, uh, various things, Muslim, uh, Hindu. In other words, he was saying they all embraced an effort to understand man and his relationship with God, and, and I do too, only I don't get hung up on ceremonies and theological division points between faith, I try to keep an overarching uh, understanding of humanity's relationship with God, and uh, I humbly uh, submit myself to that. Did Michael Wolff talk about um, how, over the years, the reasons for the secret keepers keeping the secret about the visitors and UFOs, has that changed or morphed over the years? Um, many of us have come to the conclusion that July of 1947 in Roswell wasn't really the starting point of our relationship with these beings. That they have come here for a long time. And Yes, indeed. There have been aspects of military government and some international political bodies that have been aware of this uh, and done their best to keep a lid on things. Uh, has, has that reason for doing so, has it changed, evolved, or morphed over the years? Yes and no. Michael Wolf himself struggled with that. At one point, he was part of the faction within the MJ-12 committee, which was deeply divided on this issue. Mm -hmm. do, do we tell? Do we keep the people in the dark? He was on the conservative side. Of, Let's keep them in the dark. Let's not tell now. It would be too destructive. But then he evolved, and he saw uh, the harm that was happening by not sharing this with people, that the visitors could help us with our problems, and uh, we could move ahead much better as a uh, human race if we, if it was legal to know, believe in them, know that they're here, and uh, be okay with uh, groups actively working with them. Uh, so that's when he began talking publicly, uh, put out his book, talked to various people, including yours truly, who he decided was a uh, designated blabber of what he knew to the general public through the miracle of the Internet, which I've been trying to do. And uh, so he uh, definitely came down on the side of we have a right to know, and this will be very enriching 
and indeed it may even save our planet if everybody is allowed to know that they're here and that they're just trying to help us uh, help ourselves and help Mother Earth to get to a better place. Uh, in the late 40s, early 50s, it was thought that that the lid was being kept on this information because of allegedly not knowing if it was Soviet secret stuff or or whose it was. And then that morphed into, at the same time, there were people inside the military and some politicians that were secretly talking about the subject and saying that it's very real, that we are being visited. Um, we had a period of time in the 50s where there was a, a shoot-down order that was given. Uh, Timothy Good wrote about this little-known subject that uh, he writes that after this shoot-down order was given, and we attempted to quite literally shoot down some of these saucers, that we began losing airplanes uh, at a alarming rate. He said in one of his books that if the public were aware of the number of planes that were going down, people would stop flying. Yeah, well... And thank, thank God they, they rescinded that, that order. Well, it's a mere matter of mathematics or finance. You know, your budget, your Air Force budget goes to hell if a lot of your planes are going down in planes. Congress isn't going to keep appropriating at that rate. But uh, they also realize the futility of that. But let me move back to something where you're getting to a, a moment ago. Yes. Uh, that the the uh, the cover-up is not just ad hoc. You know, some scary pants within the upper reaches of uh, the U.S. and European administrations. This is uh, Michael's, one of his big reveals was that there is a highly organized group that secretly controls large policy decisions and directions but the whole globe, and that's called the cabal. He brushed up against them because ultimately they they killed him fully. They they gave him cancer, and then the star visitor came and gave him something that cured that. And then they gave it again, and this time it was so bad that uh, it was his end. He, he went down the hill, pancreatic cancer advanced, and, and that was the end of him. And so he knew very up close and personal that they're very powerful, that their reach is, is everywhere, and if you cross them badly enough, they will terminate you. But most people didn't understand that the reason for the UFO cover-up is not uh, some misguided politician. There's an enormous amount of money and power to be made by keeping a monopoly on UFO ET uh, technology and uh, contact with them uh, so that uh, they only get to talk to the people who are okay with the cabal to, to be talking with them. They like to keep a monopoly on it. And they are so powerful, they have resisted the... Uh, well-meaning politicians and government officials all over the country, all over the world who 
think it's time that we got frank and honest about they're here and and uh, let's stop being coy about it. This is he says this is public enemy number one, and then until they are uh, outed and neutralized, we're not going to make great advances on Earth. The UFO cover-up is not the only project, if you will, of the cabal. They're also behind efforts to resist, uh, efforts to control the pollution from runaway industrialization and so forth and deforestation. Uh, there's money to be made if you're immoral and highly powerful, and these folks know that and are doing it, and we need to wake up, you know, and address this issue. The, the extraterrestrials are not the problem. They're not evil alien invaders. They're the benign neighbors that would be only too delighted to help us. But uh, we got problems right here on planet Earth with these uh, behind-the-curtain controllers that are bent on a bad agenda for, for us. Dr. Boylan, as, as a background that you've got in psychology, these people that, that are maintaining this agenda because of greed and power, don't they realize that, that there is a reckoning that they face? And I don't, I don't embrace the notion of karma, but I embrace the idea of, of divine justice and my late friend, Three Eagles, was a Lakota medicine man, and he said one time in a private conversation that he had uh, detractors and some enemies, but he never really worried about it because the Great Spirit was going to take care of all that. And he said that he actually felt sorry for them because of the lessons that were coming down the pike towards them that they would have to experience to be able to, to learn about why they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. If, if that's valid, then these same secret keepers that have the agenda based on greed and power, they've also got some huge lessons coming. Or are they psychologically yeah. just asleep to that? Well, it's kind of worse than that. They're consumed with greed and self-importance and a false sense of entitlement. Uh, this group, the core membership of this group is very special in their history. It goes back to the time of Atlantis. As it, that was about 10 plus thousand years ago. People differ in the dates, but about then. Uh, there arose a civilization on a continent that no longer is above the surface of the ocean that was highly advanced. And uh, they had some contact with people from the stars and they got some technology ideas and so forth. And they got kind of drunk on that technology and the power and exotic and advanced nature of it. And they started experimenting and they they started experimenting with uh, messing with the human genome. They wanted to create a super race and, uh, you know, use those genetics to make them 
the powerful people and everybody else just weak peasants. And uh, they they moved ahead with this genetics. And that wasn't the only project they used their advanced technology on. They also used it on energy systems uh, that they didn't really fully understand. But they uh, they bred the, themselves a uh, super race, if you will, uh, that they used a cross between human and animal genetics. They wanted to have the advanced PSI powers that animals inherently have to add to their repertoire skills and, and some of the super strength and so forth. And uh, they became, because of their advanced abilities, kind of a, a ruling class within humanity in the Atlantean civilization. And they used their technology in ways that they, they didn't understand, kept running up the power on it, and eventually they destabilized the entire continent and it sank beneath the waves but some escaped to uh, various places on earth but most of them perished and the and the non uh, genetically modified citizens of Atlantis as well uh, perished but some escaped and they uh, came together as refugees on the other parts other continental areas of Earth, and they kind of recognized each other uh, as they uh, moved beyond survivor status to establish themselves. And uh, that is actually the Cabal group. They are not regular USDA humans. They are a very bad hybrid experiment gone terribly wrong. And they are pretty impervious to feelings, uh, when we talk about humanity, they don't have it. They have a, a kind of a bestial, uh, me first, the hell with you kind of approach to life. And uh, they are the problem group we have to deal with. They look exactly like any of the rest of us. You can't detect it by that. You can only kind of detect it by a a behavioral profile, how they operate individually, and even more obviously how they operate as a group. They're the people behind the curtain that uh, Dr. Wolf warned us about, the, the secret controllers of societies, governments, of institutions, uh, are uh, humanity's public enemy number one. So we have our work carved out for us, and the star visitors are aware of this, too. I was in dialogue with a Zeta who, uh, several base Zetas, actually couldn't quite figure them out because, you know, their, their dealings with them always came out sour and bad. I would imagine. Whereas regular humans, they, regular humans they dealt with, they found them pleasant and uh, worth continuing to communicate with. And but they were kind of scratching their Zeta head, saying, "What gives here?" 
And uh, I explained to them that they're they're not humans. They're kind of a very bad experimental hybrid mistake of human, non-human genetic engineering. And so the star visitors uh, adopted the posture that uh, they're going to treat them differently, not as humans. Humans are worth saving and uh, working with cooperatively to try and make a good society here. But that the, the cabal, these uh, misfit, uh, bad experiment gone wrong, hybrid individuals are just have to be contained. They can't, uh, they can't be treated as humans, can't be part of the planning for the future of Earth. And uh, yeah, left of the cell, they'll probably self-destruct. But uh, they, at the very least, need to be kept segregated uh, and unextracted from among us. At this juncture, let's take a break, Dr. Boylan, for the bottom of the hour break. And this will be a little bit longer, so it'll give you a chance to get up and freshen that cup of coffee. And we'll be back within a couple of minutes here. And thank you, sir, again for taking time to be with us. We'll rejoin the conversation in a couple of minutes. Uh, Dr. Richard Boylan is our guest. We're talking about the revelations from Michael Wolf, who is a whistleblower and insider on all things UFO and visitors. Uh, more information at Dr. Boylan's website, which is drboylan.com. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Stay tuned, we got more coming up. Our special birthday show celebrating 35 years of broadcast. We are the longest running paranormal radio show in the world, and uh, it's been a great ride. Thank you so much, folks, for being out there for all the support in so many ways. And we look forward to many, many more years of interesting conversations. Speaking of interesting conversations, let's rejoin this morning's conversation with Dr. Richard Boylan. What else can you share with us, Dr. Boylan, about uh, Michael Wolf and not only his relationship with the visitors, uh, but perhaps where we go from here? Well, less people think that uh, Dr. Wolf uh, did his going public with what information he had learned from working inside of secret UFO program. Uh, they made him pay the uh, the cabal that run the uh, UFO cover-up internationally. They... Uh, sabotaged his wife's car so that uh, his wife and his child uh, got into a uh, crash. The brakes wouldn't work and uh, on a hill and died. And, of course, he's carried cancer that they induced in him uh, twice. And the second time took him to his death. So he, he paid due. Uh, but it shows you his love for humanity that he he said, we have a right to know, uh, meaning the human race. And 
And so he stuck his neck out by huge uh, counter pressures to let us know. I've got five articles on my website that deal with Dr. Wolf mm-hmm. at various lengths. And uh, if you want to see more, you can go to the section that uh, speaks to Dr. Michael Wolf and has his picture there for, mm-hmm. for that matter. So where do we go from here if we understand that the UFO phenomena is real, that visitors are real, that they're here? Um, where well, do we go from uh, here? People need to inform themselves fully, if I may be so uh, bold as to uh, do a public service announcement here. There's a conference coming up that you alluded to. This, of all the UFO conferences I've seen put together, and I've been to them for many decades, mm-hmm. this one has is 100% good. There are no ringers among the speakers, and that's the first. Usually, several of the speakers, people say, what do you think about them? I say, well, they're, they're put in there by the UFO cover-up to uh, disinform and confuse people and, and put out false statements and false explanations for things. Not this conference. They're all solid folks. And the conference is in Laughlin, Nevada, about 50 miles south of Las Vegas, on the, on the Colorado River. And uh, November 1, 2, 3, uh, that weekend, and... Uh, if you hear all the presentations there, you will know awful lot about our our visitors and uh, the, the various con- impacts that these visitors and their their appearances have had on regular human beings from every walk of life. That said. There are many, obviously, other ways a person can inform themselves to and get up to date. Uh, my website would not be a bad additional information source. But then you, with information comes power, and with information comes responsibility. Uh, knowledge is power in the sense that once you know what the right answers are and even how to ask the right questions, uh, you're better equipped to address life. But the responsibility is the more you learn about the cover-up and, and who's behind it and how it's keeping us back and how what the real nature of the people that pilot these UFOs overhead are like, then uh, and realizing that they are here to help. In fact, there are a dozen environmental scientists that one group of our visitors, the uh, Altamarians, the ones that are now moved from their dying planet to Earth to uh, have an approved settlement here. And uh, they have 12 environmental specialists that they fielded out to try and go around to various places on Earth and, and use their advanced knowledge to help remedy injured ecosystems. But uh, we 
we all need to learn how we can move ahead as a joint society. Star visitors and humans working, if you will, shoulder to shoulder, or at least cooperatively, to save our Mother Earth, to save our human society, to help us to finish our growing up, to realize our place in the cosmos and our future. We will have children alive today who will be soaring out in advanced anti-gravity vehicles to nearby planets and to other star systems. And in many cases, they will not be alone. They will have on board also extraterrestrial crew members. We have an exciting, interesting future ahead. And we need to let it unfold and happen. And it can't happen if people go around saying there's no such thing as UFOs, or if you believe in UFOs, you're crazy. That kind of thinking is so out of date. And you need to realize it's not only out of date and wrong, it is harmful. It's harmful to Mother Earth, and it's harmful to our human future to hold that kind of thinking, because that means you're tripping right over the solutions and saying they don't exist and going on your merry way. So there is going to be soon, I have gotten some information, a display in the skies above major cities of formations of very large extraterrestrial ships their size and their formation and their ability to float motionless and highly visible for hours is going to do a lot towards ending the UFO cover-up because people can't say there's no such thing if it's right over your head and the next time you look up, they're still over your head. But we need to move it beyond that, too. The uh, Star Nations, which is the organization of all these different civilizations out there among the stars, sort of the galactic United Nations, just like we have one that represents Earth, they have one that represents all the different star systems working together. Uh, They call it Star Nations. And uh, they uh, are attempting to meet with our world leadership and begin to develop out in the open official relationships and uh, things like a treaty of peace and friendship between star nations and our United Nations. In other words, let's get a formal declaration that we're, we recognize each other, we're here, we're good guys and gals, and uh, uh, enough with the, the cover-up. And moving beyond that, We need to understand that they've been here as part of our history. That uh, many uh, of the important figures in our history have been affected by contact with star visitors. And in some few cases, these 
major historical figures were star visitors who incarnated as a human and uh, it taught people to elevate their understanding. It should also be important to know, and I know you'll resonate with this, Scott, that they, the star visitors are spiritual people, very highly developed spiritual people. Over and above sharing our common understanding about God and the sacredness of, of life and the spirit within us. And until next week, I'm Scott Colborn, Walk in Beauty.